Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America, and welcome to the Monday edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. And it's not just any Monday, it's the day before the 2021 general elections, where the big prize, of course, is the Virginia governor's race between Terry McAuliffe and Republican Glenn Youngkin. Uh, and there, But there are many other races at stake across the country. New Jersey governor, New York City mayor, the largest city in America, and a bunch of school board races where moms and dads and parents have tried to reclaim control of their school boards. And today, we are going to focus on one of those races. We've been talking about this movement for a long, long time. But today, we're actually going to take you inside one of these extraordinary school board races. It's in the suburbs of Dayton, Ohio. The town is called Centerville. And there are three moms, Lisa Cousins, Heather Schultz and Don McGuire are challenging some long-term incumbents on the school board to uh, tip the control of the school board back to everyday parents and away from people who've been essentially career school board members. And uh, we're going to bring you inside their campaign, the national media's coverage of it, the local media's coverage of it, the things that these three moms discovered when they started to find out what their children were learning. A lot of this all was prompted by the pandemic, right? Parents were at home with their children. They were seeing what was going through their uh, children's textbooks, through their children's lessons, what their online lessons were, what their home lessons were. And all of a sudden, the parents started to say, hey, what is this equity stuff? What is this critical race theory stuff? What are these books in the library talking about abortion or gay sex available to children as young as fourth grade? Uh, that was the trigger moment for a lot of parents to say, you know what? I'm busy. I don't have a lot of time, but I I do have the time to run for school board to take it over. Earlier this year, uh, we took you to Texas where uh, one of the very first school board recall and school board elections occurred and some concerned parents won. And today we're going to take you inside the race that will be decided tomorrow. Tomorrow is November 3rd. Uh, I'm sorry, November 2nd. Uh, Lisa Cousins, Heather Schultz, Don McGuire, three parents, Centerville, Ohio. They're going to be the interview today in just a few minutes. Now, before we get there, I wanted to bring you up to speed on a couple of things. First, one election related. So Yunkin and uh, McAuliffe are neck and neck in the polls, depending on what poll you look at. They're either essentially tied or Yunkin is slightly ahead in some polls that came out late last week. Uh, and at today, 
Just a few hours ago, President Trump decided to dip his toe back into the waters of Virginia politics. He's having a teleconference call tonight with MAGA Nation to get all of his supporters in Virginia behind Glenn Youngkin. Sort of an 11th hour intervention by the 45th president. We'll watch that. We'll be covering it tonight. You'll want to be a part of it uh, and, and pay attention to it because it is so important. This race will hinge on turnout. Democrats are saying, wait, it may not be decided tomorrow. We may have some of these absentee ballots coming in late. That sounds familiar from November of last year. Youngkin is putting everything muscle he has into turnout, and uh, it's going to be a fascinating race. And it's not just a race about Virginia. It's a race about the, uh, the Biden agenda, the state of the country, extremism uh, on the left, uh, the ability for the right to regather itself after the losses in November 2020. This election in Virginia and the school board elections like those that, that uh, Lisa Cousins and Heather Schultz and Don McGuire are running for in Centerville, Ohio, they are going to be the well bellwethers for what likely happens in 2022 when the control of Congress is the big prize a year from now in November of 2022. All right, so President Trump jumping into the Virginia rate last, trying to get every MAGA supporter, every Trump base voter out in Virginia. And that is something that happened this morning. We broke it here in Just the News. Keep an eye on that. Now, one other fun and I think important story uh, that uh, needs to be illuminated a little bit. Um, over the weekend, I broke a story about uh, some comic books. You say, well, what's newsy about comic books? Well, they're not just any comic books. They're comic books that were uh, created and paid for by you, the taxpayer, and produced by the Homeland Security Department and its Cyber Security Infrastructure Security Agency known as CISA, C-I-S-A, C-I-S-A. Now, if that agency sounds familiar to you, it should. Why? Because that was the agency that was asleep at the switch and and last year failed to detect a massive breach of government computers, uh, really government-wide hacking that went on for months before it was detected. So this agency dropped the ball in detecting, forget about you and me, everyday customers in in the field, but actually dropped the ball on a cyber attack that targeted federal agencies, its own brothers and sisters in the United States government. Well, now we find out that agency was busy during that time frame and since putting out comic books and not and comic books designed to uh, correct the truth as the Homeland Security Department and CISA see it. What do I mean by that? Well, they're taking on what they believe are myths uh, in the uh, uh, election space and in the COVID-19 space. That's right, you heard that right. So you have these two comic books, they're very highly produced, they come with movie trailers, you name it. Uh, they're being distributed through secretaries of state, like the Colorado Secretary of State is where I found it with some help from our, my good friends uh, at uh, with Phil Klein and his group at Amistad. But one of the books is about, uh, they're calling them graphic novels, by the way, meaning picture novels, not graphic as in violence, but picture novels. I call them comic books because that's what they look like. Well, one of the uh, one of the uh, storylines focuses on uh, the fact that elections can't be stolen, and it uses a lot of the Russia collusion Robert Mueller report. Obviously, they say it's fictional, but it's clearly drawn from the Russia intervention in the 2016 race, and it has some pretty classic um, 
things that conservatives I interviewed over the weekend see as bias, as code word bias. And what do I mean by that? Well, let me give you one of the uh, exchanges. This is a real exchange in the uh, uh, election comic book that they're calling Real Fake. Remember, this is a government-paid, government-sponsored, government-published comic book designed, according to the uh, agency, to fight misinformation, disinformation in the election space. The comic book is called Real Fake. Real Fake, okay. And then there's this exchange between the hero, a guy named Andre, who's fighting um, troll farms, like the Russians set up in 2016, and then an alleged troll uh, by the name of, it goes, I think, by uh, the name Single Zero, okay? Single Zero. All right. Uh, Andre the hero in this uh, part of the book goes, take this garbage off the web and stop trying to pass off this stuff as real. And then the troll fires back. The truth hurts, doesn't it? And then Andre goes back. Hey, this is damaging to our very democracy. People need to be able to trust facts. And the troll retorts, the deep state hides the truth. Well, the deep state's a term that President Trump and a lot of uh, conservatives use. This comic book is trying to suggest that maybe that term is part of a Russian troll, Russian disinformation campaign. That's one example. Now let's take you to the nanny state example. In the earlier uh, book called Bug Bites, Bites being B-Y-T-S, like computer bites, the, the protagonist is a young woman journalist named Ava Williams. I find it interesting that the government would use a journalist as its protagonist, uh, given that uh, the reporters should be independent uh, of the government. But, you know, all right, so they pick a journalist who is trying to strike out against um, a conspiracy theory, which we know to be wrong, that 5G causes COVID. There's no medical connection between the two, but it did go around for a period of time. And so the young woman early in the comic book gets a call from her dad, who later gets beat up by these COVID-19 conspiracy theorists who believe 5G is causing uh, COVID. Uh, so she, her father becomes a victim, but the dad is personified at the beginning as a nice guy, and he calls his daughter, and Ava Williams, the journalist, picks up and says, "What's it? what is it, Dad? You do realize that I'm a woman in her mid-20s? And he, and he goes, uh, nothing other than I notice you don't have your mask on, just reminding you to be safe. Aw, wear your mask messaging from the United States government implied several times in there. There's another episode where a female student jumps on a male student who's not wearing a mask and said, wear that mask. I don't want you to become another statistic. Uh, so the language of the mask-loving crowd of the uh, big government and uh, state is clearly embedded in these as well. These are the sort of money and expenditures that CISA was focusing on when, one could argue, it should have been focusing on, you got it, cybersecurity like the hack last year. Now, the agency defends itself saying misinformation is important to combat it, he, they call it a, a, a grievous threat to democracy and to the United States. But some other people have a very different opinion. I, I interviewed Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. He's the ranking Republican, the top Republican on the Senate Homeland Security uh, Committee. He helped pass the bill that renamed CISA and gave it his current job. And he said, my intent then was to help the agency focus on cyber and infrastructure security, not establish itself as a comic book publisher or the Ministry of Truth. How about that? Uh, and he said that these comic books was one more sad example of what America gets with Democrat governments, less security and more nanny state paternalism. 
Uh, that's according to the top Republican on the Senate Homeland Committee. Now, if that, uh, I also talked to Phil Klein, uh, who's at the Amistad Project, did some of the really great work on Mark Zuckerberg and the dollars and other irregularities in the election last November. And um, uh, he says that what he sees in this book is basically a form of cancel culture, trying to impugn a point of view that conservatives might have. And he said, government must not engage in the cancel culture engaged by these novels through Pravda-style gross demonization and categorization of groups. Wow. He says that disinformation is defeated with facts, not bias or prejudice. So conservatives see a bias to this these publications, to this mission. And I think a lot of people just say, couldn't we be more focused on stopping to the cybersecurity threats and not in, in the business of publishing comic books at the U.S. government, at the United States taxpayers? Now, we asked CISA, the Homeland uh, Security Agency, to give us a dollar figure for how much they spent and... They said they couldn't. Well, how about that? All right. At least they did. They hadn't provided one as of today, 24 hours after the story was published. All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, the three moms of Ohio that have taken the Centerville, Ohio school board election by storm. Uh, two of them joining us right now, Lisa Cousins and Heather Schultz. Uh, Dawn McGuire is the third mom. She can't be there today. She's got another obligation. But Lisa Cousins, Heather Schultz, going to give us the inside stories of these moms unexpectedly turned into school board politicians to run for school board to take back their schools for their student children right after the commercial break. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook uh, uh, vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down. And my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you 100% money-back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order, plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick House Nutrition and, of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? 
Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special set of guests today. We have more than one guest today. We're going to focus on the extraordinary story of three moms who have taken Centerville, Ohio by storm. They are running for the school board, turning upside down the education establishment by actually trying to take their school education and their curriculum and the leadership of the schools back into everyday parents' hands. Joining me right now are two of those three moms, uh, Lisa Cousins and Heather Schultz. Lisa, Heather, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This is an amazing story. It has gotten attention all over the country. And, you know, I want to start off by just, you, you know, you have busy lives. You have children, there's jobs, there's work, all these different things. What inspired you, Lisa, to decide, you know what, I have to stop all that and run for school board? What was that moment when you realized you had to do this? Well, it came in of 2020 when all of our schools shut down for the coronavirus. You know, originally everyone did throughout the country, but when our school decided to not go back in the fall and they went remote, I realized that the that type of format didn't work for my children. We struggled in the spring. I have a first grader and a third grader, so you can imagine that it would have been difficult to teach writing skills over the computer screen. So I contact the school. I talked about my concerns, how things would work and how, you know, what was going to happen when our children started falling behind in these subjects and they couldn't answer those questions. So I decided I needed to homeschool in order for my children to have an education. And through that, it opened my eyes to some of the things that our schools weren't doing and could be being taught in the schools and some of the policies that were negatively affecting their education and decided that I needed to get involved so that parents like myself and Heather and others who had also had the same concerns would be heard and our concerns be addressed. Yeah, pretty amazing. Centerville is just outside of Dayton. And Heather, it, you, you start to dig in and you find out what your kids are learning, what things are on the agenda. What surprised you most about what was going on in the school system? Well, I homeschooled my kids for 12 years before they entered Centerville schools about four years ago. And my reasons for homeschooling at the time were kind of reiterated when I put them in traditional schooling. And I realized, yeah, some of those things that I had assumed and were concerned about before putting them in were some of the things that were there. The great thing that's come out of the last year and a half, though, is that some of those things have been, in fact, revealed to a lot of parents, not just me or Lisa or Dawn. But we're seeing um, as a result of some of the virtual learning how there are things in the curriculum or even things just in the classroom that we aren't pleased with. And we're definitely concerned about whether it's a particular ideology or just the way that they're being taught that we want to make sure that we are fully aware of everything that is going on in the classroom at all times. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, I think when you summarize, and I think actually I've seen this written, what you guys have created is a parents' voices matter movement, right? You just want parents to have a say on this. What did you find about the receptiveness, Heather, to the career bureaucracy, the teacher bureaucracy, to listening to parents? Are they, are they dismissive? Do they want to engage? 
most importantly, we found that there were so many people in the community that thought just like we did. So it was a great thing to be able to hear from other parents, even other teachers and staff members reached out to me personally and Lisa and Dawn as well that said, man, we're not even being heard here in the schoolroom. So, uh, you know, when we were trying to fight for our own children, either to get them back into school for a full five days a week or to be able to put them back in school and them not to have to deal with things like masks and stuff like that. It was very clear that we weren't being heard and nobody else was being heard either. So it it just seems like there's quite an agenda that we're up against and we want to be able to change that so the parents and community members and staff also have that voice that they deserve just to be able to work or go to school there. Yeah. Now the the school board members that you're running against, Lisa, they've tried to portray themselves as victim. Hey, the people are getting angry at us. They confront us. What's the real story of what's going on with these? You know, I think one of the guys has been on the board, but more than a quarter century, right? What's really going on in the community regarding the older long-term school board members? Well, two of the board members have been on the board since I graduated high school. Wow. So, and I'm no spring chicken. So it's been quite a while. And this is, this isn't a new problem. I've heard from, you know, people that have been in the community for a very long time that had kids that w- I went to school with. And this has been an issue with two particular school boards for the last 28 years. So, you know, it's just coming to light a lot more because we have a lot more parents that have kind of woke up to what is going on in the schools and want to voice their concerns. And I think parents coming to a board meeting and addressing those concerns with these board members isn't being uncivil. It isn't being violent. And to have us be portrayed as such is just disingenuous. Yeah. Now, there was a story about a restaurant owner who had agreed to put your sign out front. And then apparently uh, he came under attack from the other side. Is there that much emotion in the community about this race? This is a pretty big moment in a, a race that normally would have been automatic a few years ago. What's that emotion like, Heather? Well, it's been really interesting. We've seen a lot of people pitted against their own family and friends and community members, like you mentioned, with restaurants and other businesses that have been personally attacked and threatened for their livelihoods. And we certainly don't condone that. I mean, it it costs you nothing to drive by a restaurant and just decide you don't want to eat there for a while. Right. Um, It's quite another thing to email or call them up and, you know, threaten to tell all your friends that, you know, because they don't agree with your politics or your, you know, your choice for a school board candidate that you're going to, you know, tell all your friends. And and again, like I said, threaten their livelihoods. It's definitely been a contentious race. It's been very interesting. But I think that when you come in and you're challenging the establishment and you are um, running up against people that have been on the board 25 and 28 years then in a year like this that we've had such a challenging time as a whole as a society, we probably expected some of it, but I'm not sure that we really expected it to be quite as heated as it's been. Yeah. Now, one of the issues that's come up uh, is the masking of children in schools, and you and the incumbents have a very different approach. So I want to see, Heather, if you could talk first about, for you, why the mask issue is so important and where you stand in terms of empowering parents to make that decision. Yeah. So I have five kids and my oldest has graduated. My youngest is a third grader. And then I have two high schoolers and a middle schooler. And it was really my youngest one who was the most affected by it. He has a speech and a reading IEP. So he really needs to be able to understand pronunciation and facial cues and how to sound out and 
use your mouth to make the words and, and all that. And it's very hard to do with a mask on your face. And he was definitely impacted, not just in that way, but also I could tell that it was taking a toll on his mental health as well, because he would come home from school every day and ask me when the masks were going to be done. And all I could really tell him is that, you know, I'm working on it and I'm trying really hard to make sure that parents are able to make that choice for their kids. We were going to be able to do that. And then when school started back up again this year and we were faced with the same challenge, we were, again, faced with this lack of, of response to parental choices. And we think that it should be a parent choice rather than a school dictate. Yeah, that's really something that I like when you talk to real parents and I have over the weekend, I had a bunch over my house and that theme is so important. We want to make the best decisions for our children. Give us that flexibility to do so. Now, Lisa, you, you had a Facebook post early on that basically said, this is what I stand for. My number one priority as a school member is to always have the best interests of our children. Talk a little bit about uh, how it feels like today a lot of the bureaucrats, the career school board members have gotten away from the children's interests and have gotten into ideological interests. Yeah. So part of that is, you know, having the best interests of our children in mind is that, you know, with the masking, it is affecting learning outcomes. And, you know, that's been proven. And so that really is what got me kind of stirred up about, you know, how things, because like Mike Heather talked about, my son has like sensory issues and he can't have something on his face. And so it's constantly bothering him and then he's not able to pay attention in class. And then you have students who have hearing disabilities or speech delays or, you know, other things like that, that, you know, having policies that are directly impacting their learning outcome are just not in the best interest of our children. But additionally, we have curriculum in our schools that are being taught that isn't exactly age appropriate. And so I think that was another concern, as well as the way that we've implemented some of these state standards and federal standards that want to have a one size fits all kind of education for our children, which really doesn't work. You you end up dumbing down the education system. You know, their goal is equity. And that means that, you know, everyone has an equal outcome and that's just not possible. And it's not driving us to encourage our kids to be the best that they can be and to challenge themselves to do better educationally. And yeah. so those are some of the things that have kind of come to light as I was able to see into the classroom and see what was being taught and how it was being taught and it doesn't work. And we need to start treating our kids like individuals. And we need to start allowing the parents who really know what is in the best interest of our children to make choices that better fit their educational needs. Yeah. It, equity learning has become, especially since the pandemic occurred and parents had more chance to see at home what was going on in the school districts and in the school rooms, classrooms. How big an issue is it in this race? Is equity learning one of the things that are moving the parents to seek change? Lisa, let me start with you. I think somewhat, yeah. I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand the difference between equity and equality. I think that a lot of our diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, they portray it as being equality instead of equity. And there's a difference. And I think that that needs to be explained. And sometimes we have different versions of what that means. And I think that if most parents 
aren't in agreement with having a one size fits all education, you know, just like our teachers, I think, disagree with having that approach as well. So I do think that an issue, I don't know that it's the top issue, because I think it's hard for people to grasp how that really affects learning outcomes. But the people that do understand it, it is a big deal. Yeah, it really is. Heather, I want to ask about this because I've noticed one of the big things that the three of you have really advocated for is parental choice and notification, giving parents the ability to know what's going on rather than try to slip things under the rug. How have people reacted to that idea and how will you fundamentally change, if you get on the board, how will you change this question of choice and notification? I think transparency is really just the key and being upfront with any kind of issues or curriculum or, or books that might be used in the classroom that might be considered questionable or controversial to at least some of the families that are in the district. And if you're transparent and you're upfront with that information, then parents can make that decision for their child, whether it's an ideology or even something, you know, health related or sex education related. So the parents can see what's actually being taught to their kids in making sure that you don't even have to ask for it. it should just be easily and readily available, whether it's through the website or just included automatically in an email link when it comes out to the parents when they're notifying of certain things being taught. Because if it's right there, then nobody has to feel concerned or embarrassed or think that they might have to worry about their kid being targeted or anything like that if they do ask for that stuff. But also, you know, as parents, we often just assume that what's being taught is okay. Like our teachers wouldn't put our kids in harm's way or they wouldn't be trying to inject their own ideology or personal beliefs into the classroom. But we're finding more and more that that's actually happening. Wow. I noticed that one of the things that you singled out in the choice of notification, Heather, is survey. So I'm not familiar with this, but I guess one of the things where things can be conveyed to children below the parents' radar are in these surveys that are sent out to students. Talk a little bit about why that became one of the focal points of parental choice and notification. Well, so back in the spring, they, the Centerville School District sent out a survey and it was through a company called Panorama. And it's basically a pretty short survey. I think it's about 10 questions and it's really about the social emotional learning aspect of it. And the reason was that, you know, they were concerned with the mental health and well-being of students, which, which is great. We want to be concerned with that. But some of the questions felt like they were a little bit leading. And when asked what the reason for doing the survey was, it was really just kind of a standard canned answer of, well, you know, with COVID and the pandemic and, you know, everything, we're seeing that there's an increase in mental health issues, which we had been voicing those concerns over, of course. But, you know, they repeated the same survey again just a couple of weeks ago. And I, to the best of my knowledge, the results of that survey have not been released to the district as a whole. And they haven't exactly told us what it's for either. So it leaves us questioning what was the point of the survey and what are they going to do with that information? Yeah, fascinating. I mean, just something you wouldn't think of that, you know, until you really dug in like you guys have, that a survey could be a backhanded way of either intruding on the privacy of families or trying to push a message to students that parents may not want their child to learn. Lisa, I want to ask you, I'm going to ask both of you this, what is the most shocking thing in the last year as you've taken on this campaign that you learned that your children were learning? Was there a book, a study, a lesson, something that just said, I can't believe 
that teachers or educators would put that into the classroom. Let me start with you first, Lisa. Anything that, that shocked you in, the, in reviewing the curriculum? Yeah, so I talked about a few things that came to light this past year just recently in another interview. And one of them was a book called Seed Folks, which in and of itself, the majority of the book does have a good message for students. But there's a one particular chapter where it follows one of the main characters, which is a 16-year-old teen who is pregnant and doesn't want to have her baby. And she talks about how she wants to kill the baby and have an abortion. And this was a book that was recommended for fourth through eighth graders. Now, fourth my daughter, grade? Really? Fourth grade. So, wow. and it was, and it was actually done as an audiobook in class to fifth grade classes this mm. year at the school. And so my thought is I have a fifth grader. You know, my fifth grader is not ready to be hearing about teen pregnancy and abortion and killing children. And it's just not content that's appropriate for that age level. And nor do we want to kind of normalize that kind of behavior, I feel like. And that's what they're doing by approaching it inside this, you know, bigger context in the classroom of like a good story about, you know, accepting people and growing a garden and working together. But I don't know why that needs to be in there. Like that just one piece could have been removed, you know? Really surprising that it would be at the fourth or fifth grade. Yeah, that's what I was really shocked about. I mean, these are kids that are just barely introduced to sex education. Yeah, the possibility of abortion or or getting pregnant. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I sure don't want to have that conversation coming from the school first and not from me. Yeah, Um, Uh, I I bet a lot of parents feel that way. A lot, uh, a whole lot of parents. How about you, Heather? Anything that you saw when you were reviewing this stuff? I can't believe that's in the classroom. Well, I would echo what Lisa said, actually, and that's kind of the most recent example that we've gotten. I will say that there is at least one known controversial book that I was able to actually just be able to access the online library for one of the schools in the district that would definitely be considered on one of those controversial book lists. And the story is basically about a 10-year-old boy who enters into a homosexual relationship with an adult male. So it's also a book essentially about pedophilia. And the fact that it's now accessible through one of the school libraries, and it's an award-winning book, (laughs) is concerning. So now it's going to come to a point where there's going to have to be more investigation done just through our library system in the school district. So those are things that I think that parents aren't usually aware of. I wouldn't have been aware of it, but now that I am, I can't unknow what I know now. Yeah, nope, nope, you can't turn your back on it. And so that book was accessible to school children. Have they cut off access to that book now or is that still available to children? As of last night, when I looked it up, it was in one of the school libraries. So that is something that I will have to address at a later date. I bet you will. Wow, that's a that's a shocker. Now, one of the favorite things I've seen because one of the early was I've covered this school board movement now for you know many many months, and one of the things that you see is a resistance by bureaucrats to let parents see what's going on. You guys have a strong platform on fiscal accountability and transparency. You really want to do things like you actually want to move, if I remember correctly, public meetings tonight so that more community members can attend. They're moving into days now so parents can't make it because they're working. You want to put the checkbook online. Talk about, Lisa, how fiscal transparency and just overall transparency could be transformative to school districts that have been used to just kind of keeping things to themselves. 
Sure. So one of the ways that, you know, being transparent about the curriculum just by posting, say, syllabuses online, showing what books they're using, what supplements they're using, what additional reading is going to be taught in the class. It keeps the teachers, one, from having to notify parents because it is easily accessible and it's transparent. We're not asking for cameras in the classroom. We're just asking for them to be upfront with what kind of curriculum they're teaching so that we don't have to do FOIA requests to get that information or sign non-disclosure agreements or something when we know what the curriculum is. And these are things that are happening in the school. But as far as fiscal transparency goes, we're dealing with people's tax dollars. I mean, we pay for the schools, we pay for the teachers, and people should be able to know where that money is going. And I know that they, you know, everyone says that they already post that online, but what they post is a financial report and it rolls up all of the checks and balances all into one little report. And you don't know what that is. I mean, you know, you need to be able to see exactly where that money is going and we shouldn't be running at a deficit every year. I know my business, if I ran the same deficit as a school, yeah, we'd be, be out, out of business. business a long time ago. Exactly. So, you know, and this and, and this is our taxpayer money. And we constantly see our taxes increase. We have to pass levy after levy to keep our schools going. I know teachers are having to buy their own supplies. My company actually goes out and gives supplies to different schools and different teachers because they don't have enough money to support those efforts. And I don't understand why. We come from a very affluent community. We pay a lot of taxes and people should be able to see where their money is going. Yeah, I know. That's such a basic thing. And yet you would swear that it had come from a foreign country because people seem to be so resistant to just letting people see what's going on. Now, Heather, you have been through this now for quite some time. There's been a lot of national press that sometimes have attacked you or tried to put you guys in a bad light. What is the biggest piece of advice that you would give a mom and dad who's listening to you say, you know, I'm inspired that these three moms are taking Centerville by storm. I want to do the same thing. What's the biggest piece of advice you can give them to prepare for what you guys have been through the last many months? Oh, boy. Hold the line. (laughs) Uh, Just hold the line because you're making a difference. And, you know, even on the tough days, somebody's going to come along and they're going to inspire you and encourage you and remind you why you're doing it. Or you're going to have a conversation with your kids and they're going to reiterate what you are what you're what you're running for in the first place. We've been very blessed and very fortunate with some very, very wonderful people that have come in and helped with our campaign and have volunteered and given us some excellent advice. And we are better for having known them. We are better for having them involved in our campaign to help us. And it can be done. You know, I'm not particularly special. I did not feel called to this in the beginning. And in fact, I fought it for a while and I just kept feeling that prod, you know, I just need to do it. I need to do it. And finally, when I accepted the fact that, you know, this is what I should be doing, whether I felt like I was equipped or not, you are equipped as a parent because you are a parent. And those are your kids that you're fighting for. You're not just fighting for your kids. You're fighting for the whole community. You're fighting for the retirees that live in your neighborhood that want to just be able to stay in their house and not have to pay an exorbitant amount of taxes. You're fighting for the teachers that feel like they have no voice or the bus drivers or the cafeteria workers. Those are all your people. And if you can't find them in your community, then you know, just keep looking because they're there. Yeah. 
Such an important thing. Well, Lisa, Heather, and Don, who couldn't join us today, this is going to be a big race tomorrow. The eyes of the country will be watching what happens. What is the big thing you'll be looking for tomorrow? As you look at the vote and you try to make sense of what happens, what messages will you be taking for the vote? I'll start with you, Lisa. Well, I hope that our supporters come out in droves tomorrow. I, you know, and that I'm hopeful that things will turn out in our favor. I think that we have a good movement going in the community. And, you know, even if we don't end up on the school board, I don't think that our fight is over. I think as parents, we will continue to stand up for what's right for our children. And I encourage all parents to don't give up, to keep, you know, moving forward and making sure that we make Centerville the best community and the best schools that we can make it. That seems like a noble goal. How about you, Heather? What are you looking for tomorrow? What's the message you'll see in the turnout and the results tomorrow? I really believe that we're going to see epic levels of turnout. I think this is typically a low-level turnout for voters for a year like this, but I do think that we're going to see abnormally large numbers of people coming out to vote for these elections because people really want to be heard and they want to make sure that they have people representing their students and their families that represent their values. Yeah, that message of parents' voices matter too is so important. We right here in Washington D.C., the Virginia suburbs. Terry McAuliffe made that big gaffe at the last debate, saying, "I well, it may not have been a gaffe. It probably represents what he thinks." But he said that you know parents shouldn't have a say in their in their kids, and there's been a resounding reverb to that, that yes, we want a say in our children's education. And I think you guys are on the vanguard of that tomorrow. So Lisa, Heather, thank you so much for bringing us into the incredible experience that you have in Centerville. And we'll be looking forward to tomorrow's results with great interest. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, It was a pleasure. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, America, that wraps up another show. I hope you really enjoyed our conversation about uh, Centerville, Ohio. These sort of stories are going on all across the country. We picked one iconic race where these moms have really gotten a lot of national attention, but they're happening everywhere. The Take Back Your School Board, the Parents' Voices Matter movement is alive and well. And it's really relatively new. I would say for about a quarter century, and that's how long some of the members are on the Centerville School Board consistently. One guy I think has been there 28 years But uh, most of these races have been sleepy races, automatic rubber stamp. The same person wins every year, but not in 2021. And the question will be, what will the Virginia Yunkin race? What will these school board races like Centerville, Ohio? What will tomorrow's election results tell us about the state, the mood, the desires of the American 
people. We're going to find out tomorrow. We'll be covering it uh, stem to stern here at Just the News. Check out the breaking news. Check out everything you need to know. A very, very big election day. Yeah, it's an off-year election, but one where people are measuring the bellwether for what our country is headed for and what 2022, the race for Congress and control of Congress, will look like. Uh, In the meantime, go out and check out that comic book story. Yes, your Uncle Sam was in the comic book business, and the question is, why? I think we're all asking that question today. Check out that story at the top of justthenews.com. All right, folks, have a great night. We'll be back tomorrow with lots of election news. Until then, may God bless you, and may God bless this extraordinary country of the United States. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Just the News.